Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Back in the day when there was a music business, record companies invented categories of music to create charts so they could create and sell more number one hit records. In the 1950s, there was a category called Louisiana Swamp Pop. Wikipedia describes it as a combination of New Orleans R&B, country, and Zydeco, if you can really imagine that. Now we're in a whole new century and Swamp Pop is back. Except for it's a little different. It's not Red Red Wine or Sea of Love. It's Ponchatoula Pop Rouge, Praline Cream Soda, Noble Cane Cola, and more. Today, Swamp Pop is a soft drink. It's made with all natural products and Louisiana flavors, and you can find it in stores across the country. The co-founder of Swamp Pop is John Peterson. John, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me. There are only two ways you can take the top off a soft drink bottle. You can pop it off or you can twist it off. There are, however, an endless number of ways you can take your own top off. And <laughs> the rest of your clothes, for that matter. When you do it on stage, accompanied by music, uh, today, we call that stripping. A more artistic version called burlesque started back in the mid-1880s. Like Swamp Pop, burlesque has been reinvented in the 21st century. If you'd like to learn more about it, you could enroll in the New Orleans School of Burlesque. The school's headmistress is Bella Blue. Bella, welcome out to lunch. Hi, thank you. Now, John, I'll start with you. The success of Swamp Pop is really phenomenal. In, in just a few short years, you've gone from you and your cousin making a few bottles of soda in Lafayette to nationwide distribution across most of the United States. It's hard to overstate how difficult that is to pull off. I mean, part of it is having a product with taste that people like, but that is literally only a part of it. There are thousands of small businesses who would like to know how you've gone out and gotten nationwide distribution in a market dominated by heavy hitters like Coke and Pepsi. John, how have you done it? Uh, well, I think one of the things that helped us the most is something that we sort of did on accident, which is creating a product that really, at its essence, is a niche product. So it's appealed to some nationwide retailers like World Market, which carries it in, in all their stores nationwide. Now, how did they get started? They, where did they find you? Where did you find them? They found us on a, on a regional blog. So that's a lesson in don't take any media outlet for granted. They found us on a regional blog and picked us up for their Mardi Gras shop, which was only running during Mardi Gras season, but nationwide. World Market, as you may know, and listeners may know, is they, they carry unique products and sure. they cycle them in and out throughout the year for different things. And um, it did well, so they kept it throughout the year. So it's, I think it's been that element, along with the fact that we only use Louisiana cane sugar and a couple of other things that have made it... Um, uh, maybe a bit easier for us. It doesn't feel easy to me, but but maybe in retrospect, it has been easier to reach broader distribution quicker because and, of that. And you got you got 
strong much faster than even you were ready for, right? I mean, the first year you planned to, what was it, 4,000 cases? Yeah, w when we set out, we said, let's make 6,000 cases because that our bottling partner, that's that was their minimum. Um, we said, let's make that and maybe we'll sell that in a year and then we'll see from there if we want to keep going. Uh, and we ended up doing a four or five times that in the, in the first year, which was fine. It was manageable. We, we figured it out, um, you know, production wise. But that was a great surprise. Yeah. I would think that once it got into uh, that large market in 36 states or whatever, uh, p um, other people would see it and want it in their own stores. Has that happened at all? Yeah, and that's been the nice thing about working with certain nationwide retailers and certain specialty distributors that we work with now that bring it to small shops, specialty shops in, uh, in other parts of the country, um, is that it exposes the product to the to the you know general consumer market, um, and then we start hearing requests for it, and that has kind of started to fuel a, a mail order business that we really didn't even think was was going to have legs um, because of the weight. You can imagine it's glass bottles and liquid, and it's expensive to ship. Um, but that side of the business has actually picked up too, uh, which has been interesting. So yeah, wow. You know, I, I do have to ask you, and you get in the hinterland somewhere in Iowa, somebody's. Uh, has it in their store, how do they market it? I mean, you're so far away and... That's, I think, one of the biggest challenges and, pr and probably one of the things that we've been warned about the most from people in this industry is, is don't get overextended w to a point where you can't support sales wherever they happen to be. So, um, you know, we do what we can to send point of sale things. We have really great, uh, in my opinion, branding for posters and things like that that um, a shop of any size anywhere can put up. Um, but we really just rely on having a really great product that hopefully has some word of mouth wherever it happens to land. Um, and we can build small groups of fan bases where, wherever it happens to be and support it the best we can. Social media has been really helpful in that regard and finding people around the country who are trying it out. Well, that's great. Now, Bella, there's a lot going on in New Orleans in terms of live entertainment. Most of us are familiar with Bourbon Street, Frenchman Street, and, and our other music clubs around the town. We're pretty familiar with live theater options, and lately there's uh, comedy clubs. But I think many of us would be surprised to learn that you alone produce up to 26 burlesque events a month. In other words, six days a week, every week of the year, there's a burlesque show somewhere in New Orleans. If that figure is right, there's obviously a market and a talent pool for performers. Is this a nationwide trend, or is this a is New Orleans kind of a burlesque hotspot? No, it it is a nationwide trend for sure. However, New Orleans is definitely uh, in the leading the way there. Uh, New New Orleans and New York. Uh, if you look back historically as well, New Orleans and New York are kind of the two hubs for burlesque back when it came into the United States in the late 1800s. In looking at the burlesque revival, it's it's kind of happened again. You know, uh, New York. In New York, it went underground. Didn't actually go away. Um, when because with the on with the uprise of the sexual revolution and and the availability of porn and things like that, they saw burlesque start to die. Um, specifically in New Orleans in the 60s, the the um, Secretary of State, I believe. Uh, came through and wanted to like clean up Bourbon Street. They find the clubs and they kicked out the the bands and the girls and stuff. But in its heyday, at any given night of the week, you could see up to 50 acts on Bourbon Street. Yeah, and this was back when it was you know between 1930s and up until up until the 60s. A layman's question here sure. is: uh, What's the difference between burlesque and stripping? I get that question really, all the time. I, I, I sure the difference parties. is about $900 a night. 
<laughs> you can make your living as a stripper. No. Um, <laughs> the difference is... It like is, Yankees and Red Sox? Do you have to choose one side or the other? Or no, or not at all. Not at all. The To insult one is to insult the other because club stripping came out of burlesque. So when people are like club stripping that's terrible and that's not classy and that's blah blah to each his own so if somebody enjoys a strip club experience over a burlesque experience it's not necessarily a bad thing the main difference is the intention so with uh, a club experience it's more it's super tactile right it's like in your face it's there is not too much of a tease element like you can for the most part see what you want to see in burlesque it is you have your act you're on the stage and there is that distance between you and the audience and so you have to take them through this storyline basically through your striptease number and i always say that by the end of his of, of his burlesque act the audience is less enthralled by the fact that you're nearly naked and they're more excited about how you got there wow now, I want to talk about the classes you teach. Okay. What kind of women sign up for this? All kinds. Um, so it's also, it's also open to all genders, although we do find... Which is just what John was asking. Right. It's all... All it's, ages? Yeah, uh, it's all ages and all different reasons. I always say that everybody comes to class for a different... Sometimes it's like a bucket list thing, and sometimes it's a birthday thing, and sometimes it's I'm getting married, and sometimes it's I'm getting divorced, and sometimes <laughs> it's, it's I just wanted to see. I'm just curious. Um, sometimes, I mean, you name it, like that person has come through the room. Now, both of you have a, a I would say, kind of a nostalgia market going for you as well uh, is that on purpose or just the timing or no i mean it just for me it just it's just what it is and oh well, ours is on purpose i think <laughs> i mean you know um from the look of the brand to the vessel the product comes in to the real sugar i mean that's that is definitely a uh, an on purpose move to kind of harken back to a, another age of soft drinks yeah and uh, people, now I would think with your soft drink, like, you know, some people will guzzle four Diet Cokes or whatever, but yours would be more to savor, I would think. Yeah, no, that's uh, actually a really astute comment. And it took us maybe a little while to realize that that was where the opportunity was. I mean, we in no way want to or try to compete with the big soda guys who, in my opinion, over the last couple of decades probably have been evolving their products and asking people to drink them with every meal five times a day. And we're kind of now in a, in a position of asking people to not do that with ours, which is maybe a little jarring, um, but it's, we re it's a treat and it's yeah, delicious above everything else. And we want people to sit on their, you know, back porch, front porch in a rocking chair on a swing at the end of a long day and enjoy it. I'm starting to get all misty. I just yeah. I mean, like thing. you would with with um, you know a bowl of ice cream or anything else. That's yeah. a a treat, really a treat. You do know, your, do your products get used in um, uh, mixed with alcohol or snowballs or yeah, that's what I would yeah. Think. Now snowballs, we haven't seen a lot of yet. Although I think there's that's a really good idea. Um, and we'll split whatever revenues you get yeah, from that. Uh, very yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, in, in mixed drinks for sure. And we'll you know. Adults are always looking for something new to mix with, with alcohol, let's be honest. And so anytime <laughs> oh there's something new that they can try it out with, and they work really well in, in that regard too. So. I think it's interesting to really, to, to, I think that's a bold move also to kind of package your product in such a way where it's n like, I mean, we c I think we can all agree that the soft drink industry has single-handedly like ruined Americans' 
in their health. Yes. Mm. So with coming from the bigger the bigger yeah. companies, right? Between the sugar and the, the stuff they put in it to really like ruin your body. And then changing the whole format and the makeup of that to what it used to be, right? right. So like back real in when it was real, it was yeah. like a real thing. And I think that's really bold and really great. And I think it's good that you can kind of reprogram, you know, people's mindsets on like, oh yeah, this is a treat. It's not meant to be had with every right. single thing yeah, that goes in my mouth. And yeah. I, you know, I, we don't make granola, you know, it's a, it is, it's, it's not a, a health food. It's a treat, you know, it's right. something yeah. to be enjoyed. Yeah. But the way that I think it, it harkens back to a different age was when people understood that it was a treat. A trip to the soda fountain right. was something you was did for a date or with your right. family. Right, like look forward to. Yeah, yeah. right. So yeah. that it's, a, it's more of a change in mindset about the consumption of it and rejecting the need to kind of, you know, let's, um, let's find other ways to make this taste sweet that are artificial or, or yeah. weird yeah. or kind of, um, and, and, and pump it to everybody throughout the day, all day in big gulp cups. Let's, let's just reject that and let it be a treat. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think that's great. Now I'm gonna ask you two, two questions here. How much is a dance lesson and how much is Swamp Pop? <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> John Which asked me more? to ask you the first one. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Um, for just a week, like a walk-in class, you know, a general open class is $12 per class and then private sessions are 50 to 100 per hour, depending on what want to work on. All right, John, so let's do the math. If you get a dance lesson and a swamp pop, how much would it cost you? It's uh, a dance lesson, uh, a group dance lesson and a swamp pop would cost you $14, <laughs> for, most likely. Um, okay, if you're at home doing the math, that is a $2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, you know, we obviously, retailers can, can sell them for what they think right. is fair, but um, two, two that's fifty. Roughly where it you is. know, what, yeah, that's, that's about where they end I up. I have to ask you one thing. Uh, you know, so many things are great in Louisiana with great names and such, but when you market them out of the region, you start to get a, a different look. W the word swamp, does that throw people off or? It, um, it, we've been surprised how little it throws people off. We thought it might. And, and when it came to, um, when it came to designing the branding, we very purposefully tried to tried to make it as kind of grown up and refined. You know, there's no alligators, there's no cypress trees. Yeah. We stayed away from kind of those swamp visuals right. um, because if the word made people question the product, we wanted the branding and the design to make up the difference. Um, which I, th I think it has for the most part. And generally I think it's, it's encouraged uh, curiosity, you know, not mm -hmm. discussed <laughs> in, in other parts of the country, which we're grateful for. This is the part of the show we do the checklist and we take a few minutes and ask you a, qu a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. And um, I'm gonna start with, with Bella. Um, what's the best career advice you have ever been given? I mean, were you, were you six and somebody said burlesque? Just like plastics no. in the graduate? Or? No, not at all. Um, you know, go, growing up, and, and I come from a pretty heavy ballet training. Um, I went to Ballet High Cell and went oh, to wow. NOCA. So ballet was a huge, huge part, and there's a lot of structure there. And it's a lot of, you know, the, the thing that I adhere to the most is nobody cares, work harder. Like you're not entitled to anything. Yeah. It goes hand in no. hand. No. <laughs> Quit whining. Quit whining. Okay. <laughs> now, John, what were your career plans when you were in college? Oh, that's um, going way back. 
Um, <laughs> much this is radio different. again. You're a young man. Is it, is <laughs> way I also like back. to note he looks 15. Yes, <laughs> that's right. There's a. I, pl- I played music all through high school. I mean, that was my passion for when I was He's young. From Lafayette, every single human. Yeah, yeah. When I really, surprisingly, never got into the kind of the the colloquial music, the Cajun stuff, but rock music, playing a rock band in high school, it was totally my passion. In college, music was still my passion. I moved away in the middle of college to the East Coast to tour around and, you know, play oh, wow. play and sing my songs for people and ran out of money very quickly, as you do. Um, I tried the um, I tried the no one cares work harder, and I still end up broke, which I guess <laughs> happens sometimes. Okay. Um, so your results yeah. may differ. I mean, it's yeah. not guaranteed <laughs> to make you rich. <laughs> Just guaranteed to give you a good work ethic. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I was on a totally different path, came back and finished um, a marketing degree and an MBA and, and you know, still feel like I'm being creative, which is nice. I have an outlet for that, but very different path than where I was then. Oh, Bella, John, let's do a round of one quick question. These are questions that have come in from listeners over the past week. I'm going to ask you uh, each just one. I'm going to start with Bella. Uh, This question came in on Facebook from one of our previous guests, Katrina Breeze. Katrina wants to know, yeah, yeah, um, how was having an alter ego or a stage name affected your business success? And and, uh, it's got to be different. You're almost... uh, Two different people? Um, No. You know, people ask me that all the time. Like, what's the difference? And for me, there is no difference. Like, it's, that is me. You know, Bella Blue is me. I mean, I, I haven't legally changed my name because it's incredibly expensive. But I, but I would had I, if I had another thousand dollars just laying around. Um, That has really, there is no longer two anymore. I'm a person, I get on stage and perform, and there's, there is a show, you know, that is my work. And then there is me off, off stage, it's still a regular person, but it's still the same person. So I could see you at a supermarket. You're just a regular person. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I always have glitter on. I mean, you can see it. It's always there. I know. I just don't always walk around in a G-string and that's it. <sighs> and... and and glitter, it's like the, the herpes of arts and crafts, right? I you mean, just can't, can't, can't get rid of it. You they, can't, no. And they, why would you want to? It. I mean, look yeah. at it. <laughs> now, John, the question, this one came in from Twitter from Blue Oak Barbecue, and they want to know, what is the process for developing new flavors? Um, it starts with just kind of an idea. This, uh, to be honest, is kind of Colin's expertise area. But it generally starts with... Uh, a late night flurry of texts from Colin that are ideas about, you know, Louisiana inspired flavor profiles that we grew up around and are familiar with that we think might be interesting. And then from there, we partner with a really wonderful lab who helps us take kind of rudimentary flavor ideas and turn them into what amounts to chemistry that, that turns into the final kind of bottled soda. Um, and we go through you know, we work really closely with them and go through a trial and error process of narrowing it down to exactly the way we want it using, you know, our natural flavors and natural colors and kind of all those things that we require, our Louisiana sugar. The good thing about working with your, your best friend is that we have such a level of trust with each other. We know that when we both like it, we don't focus group them, we don't test them. When we both like it, we're good That's and we'll go with it. Do you, do you have special skills like... Uh, Oh, better taste buds than me or a, a nose or something? Just I do not. I'm going to venture to say that Colin does, <laughs> um, but I do not. Um, so I, you know, I just deeply trust his level of taste, and I think he maybe trusts my, um, 
my realist approach to things to say, you know, I still think it's a little sweet. And he'll say, oh, you know what, I think you're right. Let's pull it back. Or, no, let's boost this up. And, and uh, once we have a consensus between us and our families, too. I mean, this is a family business. They, they get in on the process, too. Um, then we know we're good. Bella Blue, John Peterson, you're both reviving traditional businesses, putting a 21st century spin on slices of our past. There are a lot of similarities in creating a reimagined product for a demanding and discerning market. It's been great to meet you, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Out to Lunch. Thanks, Thanks for it's having been great. me, yeah. You guys are a lot of fun. I learned a lot today. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Bella Blue, headmistress of the New Orleans School of Burlesque, and John Peterson, co-founder of Swamp Pop. You can find out more about Miss Blue's burlesque and Mr. Peterson's pop by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher on today's show is Chris Keogh. Mitch Foreman wrote and performed Forms all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new record, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, WWNO.org and It'sNewOrleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and uh, John and I are okay, Bella's much better, uh, you can t- you can take a take a look at our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rashidi. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp and 30 North Investments. Thank you.